Amen. All right. Well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. That's all the way to the left. That's the beginning. Um, if you're on your phone or your iPad, it's probably the top, I would say. Maybe the bottom, depending on how you got it set up, but it, it should be the top. We're talking about hope this morning. And um, at Propel, we've, we've, this is kind of the third week of us talking about hope. And the first week we shared with you guys is... We were talking about hope in the midst of impossible or dangerous situations and how important hope is in those, in those times. Last week at Propel, we talked about uh, the woman with the issue of blood, how she had 12 years of constant pain and being an outcast and shame, but she had to hold on to her hope. This morning, we're going to go a little different direction. We're going to talk about holding on to hope, the hope of of what God has said to you or the hope of something maybe God has promised you. And this is a little different. So I was thinking and I was, I mean, all week I've been thinking about, all right, what is this example for me? I like to always start with examples. I like to tell you guys a story and sometimes they're good for you. They're always good for me um, because I tell them and so I, I enjoy them. But this week I could not think of a single story in my life currently where God had said something or spoken something or promised something or showed me something in his word that I'm still hoping and waiting for. I mean, it, it was wild. I, I racked my brain. I could think about things that God had said and, and, and God had promised me, but, but they had all either already happened or, or I'm in the middle of them right now. I couldn't think of anything. So as we get into this this morning, I, I want to challenge you guys. Just take a moment, and is there anything that God has shown you or God has spoken to you or God has promised you that you haven't yet experienced or you haven't yet begun or you haven't you know, started to work that out or see God open those doors yet? If so, I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this this morning. Genesis chapter 12, <coughs> you have here um, God speaking to Abram. Now, the short version of this is Abram and his family were supposed to be going to uh, this, this land of Canaan, but they stopped on the way to this place called Haran. And the Bible says in chapter 11, verse 31, that they settled there in Haran. So God had told them and was leading them to one place. And as they were on their way, they found a place that was good enough. And they stopped and they settled. It's a message for a different day, but... I wonder how many times God is leading us or directing us or guiding us to a place, but we, along the way, find something that's good enough, and we stop, and we settle. So that's what, that's what Abram's doing here. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, this verse is Christian famous, and if you've been in church for a while, you may have heard this verse, and you, sometimes whenever this verse is preached, Christians get real excited about it, this idea that God is going to take us to a place. He's going to lead us to a land, and it's exciting, but it's always exciting when it's for somebody else. It's never actually really that exciting when it's for you, when God says this to you. There's been a few moments in my life where God has said this to me, and I can promise you there are a lot of emotions, but excitement is not usually one of them, at least not at the beginning. Because you got to remember, here's what God is saying. Abram, you, you got settled in this land. Your, your family's there. Your, your people are there. Your, your job is there, your, your comforts are there, your routine is there, and I want you to get up and I want you to leave from there. 
I want you to no longer be there. And, and some of us would be like, okay, God, well, where am I going? But God's like, I'm not telling you where you're going. Maybe God didn't tell them where he was going because the last time he told them where they should go, they stopped and they didn't make it there. So this time, let's try it a different way. I'm just going to show you as you go where you're going. Ladies, help me with this. Maybe you can understand this a little better. If your husband comes to you and is like, honey, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me. And this is this very spiritual, majestical moment. He's like, God wants us to leave. Just leave everything. Now, I imagine if, if any of you ladies are like my wife, the first question is going to be, well, first question may not be a question, but that's a different, the first question when you calm down might, might be, well, where are we going? Well, you know, I just don't know. We're just going to see where the Lord leads. Now, I get it. This is three taverns. Y'all are Bible scholars and theologians in here. So the women in here, y'all are just going to be like, yes, let's go. Let's follow the Lord wherever he leads. And the men are going to have the faith and the courage to not doubt any of this. But in my house and many other Christian homes, that's not going to go so well. Like you, you need to give me a little more information. Like I don't, I need to know where we're going. I need to know why we're going. I need to know like, does this really mean leave everything or like, are you taking your TV are you taking like are you taking your car? Like what what are we leaving? What is actually going? I need some details here. Do they have do they have a Starbucks where we're going? Like well, how is this all going to work? And if you're just like I don't know, we're just going to go wherever God shows us to go. Like that this takes real faith. And so people get real excited about this again as long as it's not for you. Cuz when it's for you, it's a whole different thing. And here Abram is just living his life He's just minding his own business. And God comes to him and he says, I want you to leave everything and go to this place. I'm not telling you where it is, but you're just going to go. Abram wasn't in some desperate, dangerous situation. He wasn't praying that God would take him out of his space. He wasn't fasting for this. He wasn't on his knees. He wasn't in 28 days of prayer trying to figure out what God wanted. He was just living his life. And here's what I found. I don't really have Bible for this. Maybe, maybe you do, and you can help me with this. But here's what I found just in my life and experience in counseling and pastoring is God will often give you the most important instructions in the times when you're not seeking them, when you're just living your life. You're in connection with God. You're investing time with him. You're reading your word. You're praying. And God will just kind of download something in, into you that's like, God, I, I, didn't, I wasn't asking for that. I don't... I don't even know what to do with that. But it's often the times when we're like, God, bless me. God, lead me. God, all these things that, that feels like God's quiet and he's silent. Abram wasn't looking for all this. And you get to verse 2 of Genesis chapter 12 and it says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, again, Abram wasn't asking for any of this. He wasn't praying for any of this. But this sounds like the response that we want from God when we pray, when we're seeking God about, God, what do you want me to do? God, bless me. God, keep me. God, bless those in, around me and my family. Like, this is what we want God to say. But Abram wasn't looking for any of this. He was just living his life. And all of a sudden, God gives him this 
assignment. God speaks to him, and God interrupts his life to give him these promises. And then in verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, which is a whole other thing. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So here God is like, go to this place that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed from you and through you. We're going to read later that he's the father of, of many nations, right? And if you grew up in church or Sunday school, and I don't know if you do it here at Three Taverns, if you sing this song, but, you know, I didn't grow up in church, so I think this is the way it goes. You go like, Father Abraham had many sons. Oh, yeah, y'all grew up. Y'all are church folks. By the way, those of you who are in here to first service, I am two for two. That sounded good. That is the best. First service was the best I've ever sang a song in my life. That might be, I might have just topped it. That, that, was, that was not bad. Jamie, I think y'all need to give me, a, we need to add a third stand up here. <clears throat> does it matter if I don't have any rhythm? I can't, I, the rhythm, does rhythm matter? Because I, I have none. I mean, I have zero. I have negative rhythm. But y'all know that song, right? So this is Abram. This is Abraham, who's the father of many nations, and all the families are going to be blessed by him. But here, he's 75 years old, and he doesn't have any children. So if I'm, if I'm Abram, and, and I'm just living my life, and life is good, I, I got my family, I'm in a comfortable place, I'm settled, and God comes, and God's like, hey, Evan, you're going to father all these kids, and I'm 75 years old. First of all, I'm like, I'm a what? I don't want that. I'm not asking for that. But if, if that's the case, okay, I believe I'm, I love God enough where I would say, okay, God, if you said it, then there must be a reason, so let's, let's go for it. And I would think 75 years old, we're already late. This should have already been done. And, and I don't know if you've, you've noticed this, but a lot of times when God is telling you something and he's leading you something, you think that it's already too late that you're already behind, at least that's me. I'm like, God, you want us to move to Georgia and start a church? Like, it's too late. We've already been pastoring. God, we moved here, and six months later, we felt like God was leading us to start. We didn't want to start six months after moving here. That's not wise. We're like, God, no, 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 no. We need to wait. God, don't you understand how church planting works? You get to a point where it's like you're either going to do what God asks you to do or you're not. And so here, he's like, all right, 75 years old. I'm going to father all these kids. We need to get to it. I know for me, maybe after a year, like I'm 76 and I still don't have any kids, I might get a little anxious, right? After five years, I'd definitely be nervous and anxious, but at the point that I'm 85 years old and I don't have any kids, I, I, I'm not, none, of, none of you are. I'm going to be vulnerable and honest with you guys this morning. I would have given up hope. I'm sure I would have. I would have given up hope. I would have said, okay, maybe God didn't actually say that. Maybe I didn't actually hear God say that. Maybe I messed it up. Maybe I went left when I should have went right. Maybe, maybe there was some sin in my life that stopped this. But whatever the case is, that was 10 years ago, and nothing's happened. And so, therefore, I, I'm just letting that go. 
I'm just letting it go. I don't, I'm losing my hope. I'm letting my hope go. I no longer have hope that God is going to do that because it's not only impossible. Now it's really, really impossible. And not only that is God's already said it and it hadn't happened yet. And it's been 10 years. At some point, I would have lost hope. Genesis chapter 21 verse 5 says this. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. He was 100 years old. I mean, it took him 25 years to begin to experience the fulfillment of God's promise that was already impossible 25 years prior. He held on for 25 years to the hope of a promise that he never saw any evidence of. It's one thing to hold on to your hope whenever you're going through a dangerous or an impossible situation. Maybe like the woman with the issue of blood, it's one thing to hold on to your hope when every day you're reminded of the hope of God's promises because you're in pain or because you're being shamed or because you're an outcast. But it is a whole different thing to hold on to God's hope and the promises that he's given you when life's good, your body's good, your family's good. At this point, Abram, Abram's become Abraham, and he's become very rich. So he's got money. He's got his health. He's got his family. What it, at this point, does he even want kids? <laughs> like, like I, I, 100 years old. Let's just say, like, what happens when you're 101 and you got a one-year-old? I can't even imagine how hard it is to stay up late and wake up early at 101. What about when you're 102 and a little two-year-old's running around and you got to keep up with a two-year-old and you're 102? Like at some point, not only would I have lost hope, I'd be like, God, you can keep that. I don't want that. I don't desire that. Everything's good here. Let me just live the rest of my life and go on to meet you. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. And yet, Abraham held on for 25 years. I think that needs to remind us that the time for hope is always now. It's always now. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25 says this. It says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, this is a Christian cuss word, forgive me in advance. We wait for it with patience. Because everything now that you want, you can get immediately. Everything. I mean, there's, I can't think of anything in our current world and culture. If you want it, you have to wait or wait very long for it, depending on how good your Wi-Fi is and your cell phone service. Like, you can get anything immediately. But that's not really the way that it works in the kingdom. I mean, in God's kingdom, everything is not immediate. Everything is not on demand. Everything is not just at your fingertips. 
There are some things, and I would even venture to say many things, that require us to hope for what we do not see and wait for it with patience. Now, the prayer is, God, please don't make me wait 25 years. <laughs> like, please. But we have to get to a place where even if I have to wait 25 years, God, let your will be done and not my will be done. In those 25 years, Abram made a lot of mistakes. One of the most famous was trying to make this very promise happen on his own. And so him and his wife, they came up with this deal where um, this woman named Hagar is going to give him a son instead of Sarah. And this actually happens now. I, you know, this is, uh, I, I, can't, I can't even wrap my mind around how this goes down. Um, this does not go down in my house. That is for sure. Hey, you know, God said we're going to have a kid, and Sarah, like, it's your fault. You're not having any kids, so let me go over. Yeah, no, that's, uh, whew, yeah. Um, so that's always mind-blowing to me, how this even gets to that place. And, and they have Ishmael, and there's a whole nother, I mean, there's a theology classes on Ishmael and Isaac. And, but I think we all get tempted, maybe not in that exact way, <laughs> maybe, depending on, but, but we all get tempted to try to work God's promises out on our own. Amen. To say, it's been a year. It's been five years. It's been ten years. God, you said this. I must have messed it up, so now let me fix it. Or God, you said this, and it hasn't happened yet. Well, surely faith without works is dead, so I need to put some works to it. We start to justify, even using Scripture, our desire to make things happen that God isn't actually making happen. And that's what, that's what Abraham does, and I think we're all tempted with this. But when we go over to Romans chapter 4, they tell us a little more about Abraham. And, and I'd encourage you to read this whole chapter this week. It's, it's great. It's fascinating. It's deep, and it's rich. And Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. In hope, he believed against hope. What does this mean? This means that for 25 years, everything around Abraham, all of nature, all of his wisdom, all of his experience, all of his friends were against this hope. They said, this isn't going to happen. This is impossible. There's no way. Like, if, even if God was going to do this miraculous thing, it would have already happened by now. Abraham's living his life with wealth and with health and with family and with loved ones, but he hasn't yet experienced this promise that God gave him that likely he didn't even want anymore. And I'm telling you, I know this. There are so many Christians that would have thrown their hands up and said, God, I don't even want this. It hasn't happened. No big deal. Move on. And I'm going to give up hope. I'm not going to pray about that. I'm not going to look for that. I'm not going to do anything with that because I don't even want it. And I must have just missed it. I must have ate some bad pizza the night before. And something happened. I, I got it wrong. But Abraham kept hoping against all 
hope. In hope, he believed. In hope, he believed in the promise that God had given him. He kept believing day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, 25 years. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. The key in this is at the middle of verse 18, as he had been told. See, the reason that he kept hoping against all hope, the reason that he didn't back off, even though he might not have even wanted kids, especially not if he did want kids, he didn't know about being 102 with a two-year-old. Like, he, 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 didn't even, he, he didn't want that, even if he thought he wanted that. But the reason that he kept hoping against hope is because of what he had been told. Because of what he had been told, because of what God had spoken to him. And see, we have to get to the place where what we have been told by God is the most important thing. That it trumps what we look at, what we feel, what's going on in our body, what's going on around us. It is the most important thing. It is the most true thing. It is the most factual thing. It is the very thing that we hold tight to no matter what happens in our lives. If God said it, he will do it. It, that has to raise in our priorities, in our heart, in our mind to the very top level. Because until it gets there, those 25 years will, will, will get you off of the promise. Those 25 years will remove you from what God wants to do and, and the fulfillment of everything God wants you to do. But Abraham, because of what he was told, he never let go of his hope. And in verse 19, it says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And this is wild. I mean, this is absolutely wild. Here he is, year 13. Year 14, and he's giving God glory, and he's praising God, and he's honoring God, and he's respecting God, and he's praising and worshiping and doing all these things for a promise that he has zero evidence of after 13 years, after 16 years, after 19 years. <laughs> Put yourself in that position. Would you still be giving God glory and fully convinced that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. If you had to wait 17 years with zero evidence, 22 years with zero evidence, I'm going to be honest with you. At some point, I got my money, I got my family, I got my health. I'm good. God, you can keep those kids. <laughs> like, I'm not making it 25 years. I just... I'm just not. Maybe y'all need to pray for me. I would weaken in my faith. I would push it all the way out of my mind. But essentially, these verses are saying that nothing, not physical things, not other people, made him lose hope. Let me give you some keys to this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, 
but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's saying show earnestness and don't be sluggish. What does this mean? This means be intentional. Uh, have some tenacity about what you believe and the hope that you have and holding tight to what God has spoken to you and what God has promised you. There's something that God honors in that intentionality and that tenacity that we sometimes will just throw our hands up and become sluggish and unintentional and lazy about. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The next thing is, you have to watch your words. You need to guard your confession. When God reveals something in his word that you take as a promise to you, when, he's, when he gives you a promise, when he speaks it to you, however God gives you this promise, you need to not only be intentional and act like it's coming, but you also need to be intentional and talk like it's coming. See, at year 10, I wouldn't have been talking like I was going to be a future father. I'd be talking like a husband. I'd be talking like a wealthy man. I'd be talking like a happy man. But at some point when you lose your hope, you lose your confession. And then you stop even speaking like it's ever going to happen. And, and, and over time, what happens is you then go to the opposite end of that and you start speaking like it'll never happen. So you start with a neutral and just not talking about it or not talking like it'll happen. And you end up in a negative where I'll never have kids. I'll never have enough. They'll never love me. This will never work out. This is just the way it is. And Hebrews 10, 23, there's so many others. They, they, it encourages us. It implores us to hold fast, hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. And remember, as you're holding tight, maybe for 25 years, that he who promised is faithful, that God will not fail, he cannot fail. And then the last one, Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, let me read these to you. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Mm. Are y'all catching this? You can't just step back. You can't just relax. You can't just be these people that shrink in the face, not just of adversity, but in the face of patience and time. In the face of I haven't seen anything happen yet. We need to be people that don't shrink back and are destroyed, but who have faith and preserve our souls. The beginning of this in verse 35, it says something very powerful. It says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I used to coach basketball at, a, at Kennesaw State. And <clears throat> what? let me see if I can give you all the short version of this. The, in basketball... The better you get, the older you get, um, the more your skills are, are clear. And so if you're not a good shooter, meaning, you know, you shoot the ball and it doesn't go in, the older you get and the better you get, the more you're going to be open. <laughs> and the reason for that is 
the other team realizes you're not a good shooter, and so they want you to shoot. When everybody's little and young and nobody's a good shooter, they guard everybody and they stay all up on everybody. But the better you get, the actual, you're like, all right, the good shooters stay away from them. Hopefully they'll shoot it, and they're going to miss it, and we can go to the other end. Well, the good shooters, they, they're the opposite of that. They're guarded closely, and they, they shoot the ball, and they should shoot the ball. When I was coaching at Kennesaw State, we had a great shooter. I mean, this guy was great. He was one of the best shooters I've ever been around. But seasons are long, and four years in college doesn't feel like long, but it's long. So there's times where he would lose his confidence. And so I remember we were in practice one day, and he got the ball, and he was wide open. There was nobody around him and nobody in front of him, and he looks at the basket, and he doesn't shoot it, and he passes it. And coach just blows his whistle, and coach just goes off. I mean, he loses his mind. He's like, you, you have to shoot the ball. If you don't shoot the ball, you're hurting our team, which was absolutely true. And then he said something. He could tell that as he was really getting on this player, that he could tell the player's countenance. He could tell the player had lost confidence, that he just, he just wasn't confident in his ability to make the shot, even though he was a great shooter, shot the ball the right way, had made a ton of shots. And coach looked at him, and I'll never forget this. And coach said, stop playing with your confidence. And he said, start playing with my confidence. I know you're a great shooter. I want you to shoot it. I'm telling you to shoot it. So what he was saying was, anytime that you begin to lose your confidence, stop getting the ball and thinking, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make it. I've missed the last three. I've missed the last four. He said, I want you to get the ball, and I want you to shoot it knowing my coach knows I'm going to make it. My coach wants me to shoot it. My coach believes in me and has put me in position to shoot it. And I think that what... The Hebrews 10.35 is telling us, and I think this is so good for us, is to stop living your life with your own confidence. Stop shooting the ball with your own confidence because your confidence goes up and it goes down. You see God do something and you get excited and you'll move mountains and you'll run across the river. But then there's other times where God hasn't done anything in 25 years and your confidence gets down lower and lower and lower. And God is like, stop living with your confidence. Live by his word and his promises and allow that to be your confidence. So confidently act like you are are a father even though you don't have any kids confidently speak like God is going to make you the father of many nations even though you don't have any kids and be bold while you're being humble but be bold in God's promises and it will be so because God cannot fail he will not fail he cannot lie and he will not lie but we have a part to play in that and Abraham was intentional about holding on to his faith. He guarded his confession, and he kept his confidence. In verse 22, it says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we, we've heard this, and you've probably heard this preached, and um, this is powerful, right? Righteousness just means right with God. So because he held on to his hope and he kept his faith, he was counted as righteous, he was right with God. Psalm 147, stanza 10 and 11, it says this. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So God's pleasure is not as much in our strength and our ability to produce results as it is our willingness to hold fast 
to our hope and our faith. We hold to our hope and our faith, and God is pleased. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we get it backwards. We think God is pleased whenever we have these great results, whenever we accomplish these things. We think that God's delight is in the strength of the horse or the legs of a man. But it's actually in those who fear him, in those whose hope is in steadfast love. And so his faith was counted to him as righteousness, verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. So Abraham... It was counted to him as righteousness. He's right with God because of his hope and his faith. But it wasn't just for him. Now, if you've ever heard this preached, you, you might have heard a message where now we're going to tie this, his obedience and his faith and his hope to you. And because he had his faith and now he's the father of us all. And father, I shouldn't do it again. But y'all know the song. Y'all know the song, Right? And it, and it becomes very individualized and very individualistic. And this is about you and your faith and your connection to Abraham. But when I read this, I don't read it in the first person. I don't, I don't read it singular. I read it, I read it plural. It doesn't say for yours also. It doesn't say it will be counted to you who believe. It says but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believed. And whom was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, what is this saying here? Abraham's hope and faith, specifically through those 25 years, it made him right with God. But it also had an impact, not just on you, not just on me, but on us together. See, there's so many times where we read the Bible, and because of our American cultural society, we, we read it as very individualistic, and this is me and my salvation and my personal relationship with Jesus, and, and that is true, but it's not fully complete. It's not just about Jesus, and it's not just about you. It's about Jesus and you and us. It's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? He says, love God with everything you have. He said, oh, wait, wait, there's a second one. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The second one is just like the first one. It's why, as Christians, we should be known by our love. It's why in John chapter 17, verse 21, that Jesus is praying, and he's praying that we would all be one, just like him and the Father are one, so that the whole world may see that Jesus is actually who he says he is. See, you are tied to me, and I am tied to you, and we're all tied to together. When he's told that... It was counted to him for his righteousness. It wasn't just for his sake, but it was for ours. When I'm, when I'm coaching, teaching basketball to, to little kids, and they're just learning how to play, and you go and you shoot a layup, which is really close to the basket, and you don't shoot it like you shoot from outside. You shoot it basically with one hand. Here's the way that you teach it if you're a good coach and good basketball teacher. You give them this illustration. I've even seen some coaches do this, which is great. They'll, they'll say, here's the illustration. Pretend like you have a string or a rope tied around your elbow. And it's tied around this elbow. And then it's, you tie the other end of it around your knee. So whenever you go to the basket, this elbow goes up, this knee goes up. 
Whenever you go this way, this elbow goes up, this knee goes up. So if I'm going to do a left-handed layup, this knee doesn't go up because the string is tied to the same knee. Very simple, right? It's this idea that this brings this in the same direction. And this is exactly what we're learning about right here with Abraham and honestly with you. See, it's important for you to hold on and hold tight to the hope of the promises God has given you because as you do that, God will bless you. You will be right with him. You will be righteous. And most of the time, that's where we stop. We think we're going up. We're going up for the layup. But what we fail to realize is when you hold on to your faith and the hope that God will do what he said he will do, when you go up, there's a string tied directly to somebody else's life, somebody else's community, sometimes somebody else's eternity. And what you fail to see is when you go up, you bring them up with you. So if you give up your hope because everything is good and you don't even really want kids and you're too old, then when you go up, because God is still good, he still loves you, and you, you, you could go to heaven without holding on to all of his promises, but that string will be broken and there'll be somebody else still on the ground because you let go of your hope. See, when I was thinking about I don't have any stories of this for me and hope right now of things that I'm hoping for, things that God has spoken to me that I'm holding on to that hope and that faith for. On one hand, it's good because I feel like not perfectly by any means, but most of the things that I know that God has said, I've, I've taken steps towards and they're either done or they're in process. But on the other hand, I am sure just because I know God and I know how God works that there is something that is a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, maybe 25 years old that I let go of and I no longer have hope for. And I honestly, like, I don't even remember it. It's not because it's not there. I just let go of it and I don't remember it. Maybe it was something like having kids at an old age, like, God, I don't want that, and you're not giving it to me, so I let go of it, and I don't, I don't want to remember it. I have blocked it out of my mind. And, and God is so good, and he is so gracious, and he is so loving that he still loves me. I'm still saved. I'm still going to heaven. I'm still going to be a pastor. But I just wonder who I left on the ground when God was lifting me up, simply because I let go of a promise that maybe I didn't have any idea how it would benefit me or anybody else. So my prayer this week is, God, show me those. Show me those hopes. Show me those promises. Show me those instructions that I've let go of that I not only do I no longer have hope for, but I can't even remember. God, I know there's something that you've asked me to do that I haven't done. And God is a God who redeems the time and restores. And I believe this week he's going to show that to me and, and he's going to make it like I was perfectly obedient from the beginning because he is that good. Here's the verse that I believe sums all of this up, and I think we need to grab a hold of this and hold on to this because it's so clear. And it's so powerful. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient 
and tribulation. It's going to come. Jesus said in this world there will be tribulation. There will be issues. But be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you don't throw us away, that you forgive us, you redeem us, you restore us. That God, even when we throw away your hope and forget your promises, that you love us so much that we are still with you and in you. God, I pray that whatever those things are that we were thinking about throughout this time that we've had together, those promises you've given us that we're still hoping for and waiting for and believing you for, God, I pray that we would be intentional and diligent with intensity, holding on to those promises, that we would guard our words Hold tight to our confession. We would speak like you're going to do it and that it is already done. And God, that we would stop being moved by the waves of our confidence. But God, we would hold to your confidence. The confidence that you've given us to give us that promise. If you tell us to do it, then you have confidence that us with you can accomplish it. And God, ultimately help us and remind us that this is not just about us. That when we go up, you want to bring others up with us. That there is a string tied to the promises that you've given to us directly to the lives and eternities of other people. So God, help us to be open and aware of where you're leading, what you're saying, and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.